Hello, my name is Ben. Hi, I am Cheyenne. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. Cheyenne, anything new? How are you doing? Oh, I am doing well. And no, nothing really new in my life. Just no. more of the same. More of the same. Just uh, just pre-calculus, basically, is the only new thing. And snapping necks and cashing checks. Snapping necks and cashing checks. Yep. Word. There we go. <laughs> How's calculus? Oh, it you know, it's good right now because okay. I'm in the algebra section of oh, yeah. calculus. So. A breeze. Yeah, yep. that's that's the easy part is the is the algebra part. It's trigonometry me. where I'm really gonna need Arden yep. to be my hype man. Yes. That coincidentally is our word today. Yeah, we're gonna be doing hype, hype. today. Hype. Ready to hype. Don't believe the hype. Uh, or believe the hype. One of the two. Yes, the word hype. So you think of calculus is what you think of when you think of hype. Oh, no, not in no? the slightest. Okay, so what, I, do you, what do you think of? I When I think of hype, I, I just think of like a hype man. I think of like people being excited about a subject or, um, or something new, you know? Mm-hmm. What's the hype about, man? Right. Like, so, so, and that's basically it. I w- I'm actually really curious as to how this episode's going to go today because I have very few word associations with hype. So for you, it's just that definition that you That's mainly associate. what I think of, yeah. yeah. Uh, excitement for something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, you know, something popular. Yeah. Something with a lot of hype. Gotcha. For the word hype, I think I want to start with the original definition and how it's changed since its original uh, use. Hype is a noun that means extravagant or intensive publicity or promotion. The verb part of it is to promote or publicize a product or idea intensively, often exaggerating its importance or benefits. Right. So in the 1920s, it was used originally in the u.s shortage or cheat or a person who cheats a hype person or a hype man or something like that so that was that was originally in the 1920s the actual origin is unknown about the word but that is like one of the earlier usages it's also uh i'm guessing this is something that is of english descent it's also a slang term for a hypodermic needle. Oh. I, I never use drugs, so... Um, uh, yeah, I guess I, I don't really... I don't know that either. Yeah. But it makes sense. Hypodermic needle. Yeah, they, they call it the hype. The hype. Yeah, to me that doesn't seem very very American to call it a hype. Uh, yeah, you think it might be like English? I think it might be English. It that's, just seems like an English thing. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, it seems like the, the hype. Do- yeah, kind of like that's a very bad British accent. But. Yeah, it's the dog's bollocks. <laughs> Are you familiar with the dog's bollocks? No. Okay, so that's the dog's balls, but that is really good. Bollocks is just balls. It's kind of a it's a cuss know, word, right? Exactly. And uh, one time on the phone when I was early on in my career, I used that with a customer, and then I realized that, that I was, it was that uh, it was that was profanity, an expletive. Yeah. It's like you're gonna bollocks it all up if you do or it that way. Bugger, yeah. Bugger off, yeah. Bugger. <laughs> I think bugger is probably a little more tolerated than bollocks. But Maybe. anyway, it's really you know. So that's like kind of a curse word, and but if you say it's the dog's bollocks, it's really good. Oh, okay. Which so I don't completely underst- changes the completely meaning. Completely changes the meaning, which is what happened to the word hype. Around the 80s and 90s is when it started meaning something more positive, energy for something, or generating excitement. But I still see the word hype as having sort of a negative side. When I think of hype, I think of uh, something that is overpromised and underdelivered in general, is what I think. I know that's not correct. I know there are things like, you know, you've got your hype man in in things you've got various instruments of hype to generate excitement but when i when someone says the word hype i just naturally go to okay so what's the catch right but you don't have that opinion at all because you've only known one definition of the word hype and that's been there is there is an association with hype where it's something that's being really advertised really talked about but 
you know, it might not necessarily live up to the hype. Yeah. So it, there's an element there of exaggeration and a lack of like credibility. So I definitely see that. Right. But that's but that's not inherently what you think about when you think of the word. You just no, think of I the excitement part. No, I just think about part. generated excitement. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that that makes perfect sense. Which leads us to hip hop. Hip hop. Yeah. You like hip hop? A little bit. I like um, Biggie. Um, there's some. Oh, yeah. There's some modern hip hop that I like. Uh, this group called Atmosphere. Okay. So, a little, I dabble in hip hop. I dabble in a lot of music genres, though. But '90s hip hop. That's where it's at, right? Like. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we're talking about. We're a, talking about I that. I have a rap. question: Is is TLC considered hip hop? Oh, definitely. Okay, because I I love me some TLC. I don't want no scrubs. I don't want no scrubs. No, no. no because hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride, trying to holler at me. Yeah. Hell no. Nah. I don't want no scrubs. I don't want to go into a hospital room and. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't want to be a nurse. I don't, I don't want, want no be, scrubs. I don't, <laughs> I don't want no blood or scrubs or anything like that in a hospital Is that room. The uh, Weird Al. Uh, oh yeah, you cover? know what? Weird Al would go to town with that if he if he were into the whole hospital thing yeah we could even um, put some hypodermic needles in there oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh left eye lopez oh left? lisa lisa lopez yeah lisa left eye lopez left eye lopez i had such a crush on her i've heard remakes of that don't want no scrub song from other hip-hop and groups and it's just not the same i know as the original. you know weezer did a cover of that uh yeah yeah and it was bad <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we're going to go on a little bit of a side note since you mentioned Weezer. But Weezer is notorious for bad covers, I think, personally. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing that makes them bad for me, they don't hit it squarely down the middle. Either they make it too much like the original, like they did a version of Radiohead's Paranoid Android, but it sounded just like Rivers Cuomo singing and the music from the original. It was like they said, look, we're technical artists. We don't just do this chord stuff. We can actually do stuff that's more complex, which was never a question in my mind. It was never an issue. It was like, you know, yeah, okay, that's fine. But, you know, you don't have to... You don't have to tell yeah, me what about you, it. Yeah, what are you trying to prove? Yeah, well, I mean, I think they're trying to prove it to themselves, right? They're trying to prove it to critics and things like that. It's like, oh, they're basic. They only do three chords. Uh, but it's it's catchy. It's, you know. Yeah. Um, have you seen them in concert? Oh, no. No, no. Okay. I, I saw them in concert in Chicago with their first album where they had the five members. Back in those days... Madison, Wisconsin was kind of an upcoming sort of bubbling hotbed for interesting alternative bands. There was a band called That Dog, which was from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and then, you know, Weezer, and then a few others, and then um, the guy in Weezer left and formed a band called The Rentals, which was part That Dog and part Weezer. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, Weezer. But anyway... um, I saw Weezer in concert, and they were the opening act. Oh, they were just the openers. They were the openers for a band called Live, which you probably never heard of. But they did a song oh, called. I'm sure I have. They did a song called "I Alone," which was like their big popular one. Oh, "Lightning Crashes" was another song that they did that was kind of popular back in the '90s. But they were definitely not the same type of of. Well, at that time, radio friendly. The radio friendly vibe in those days was different than it is today, right? Right. <laughs> right. Now we consider Weezer radio friendly, but back in those days, they were considered alternative. It's really interesting how those things kind of change, change yeah. over time. The Blue Album. Yeah, that was after the formation. Um, mm-hmm. The Sweater Song. Ugh. What's with these homies? Actually, you can't do that. What? Oh, I can't? No, because we will get uh, hit with copyright. Oh, okay. My I, bad. I'm, ser- I'm 100% serious. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is not a joke. So, you know, that's the thing. I may have to, like, obfuscate you saying that. Or maybe, you know what? I'll try something where I uh, reverse it 
and that would be you funny. Can, you can just Rabbit cut it. You can just cut it. Um, I it could. doesn't matter. I'm not even that good of a singer. I'm not trying to violate any copyright here. <laughs> I uh, just just singing a song that I le- uh, heard a lot in my yep. childhood. <laughs> yeah. Careful. <laughs> Whoa, we owe. Buddy Holly, that was a great video. Whoa, E-O. Can we just say the lyrics? We can say the lyrics. We just you just can't, can't sing, sing them. them. Okay. It's so weird because I know, uh, it, so I don't think the algorithm for most of the streaming services is that complex. The problem comes into uh, play when you're talking YouTube. YouTube has a very vigorous sort of scrubbing that they do of the audio and they will block things. So it, honestly, not that big of a deal, but it's interesting to note that YouTube is really serious about copyright stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If I see that it's blocked or it doesn't pass, maybe that's the problem. Then I can just say, okay, well, that's because we paid homage to a song that we really like. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Matt Sharp. That was the guy's name, who was the fifth. But anyway, the guy went off and he started The Rentals, which is another interesting band. If you like Weezer, check out The Rentals. They only made a couple albums, but very unique sounding. Radical. I can introduce you to a lot of music, but that would not be in tune with what we're talking about, which is hype. Hype. Um, so let's go back to hype. We were talking about hip-hop, uh, hip-hop music. Hip-hop and rap music. So in hip-hop and rap music, you've got the hype man, which is kind of what you were mentioning with in the realm of math. (laughs) Right. In the realm of math, my hype man is my boyfriend. Exactly. Yes. Um, That's not me saying that. That's you saying that. (laughs) That's me. me. That's me pretending to be you. That's uh, Ben's impression of me. Yes. In hip-hop music or rap music, the hype man is the backup rapper or singer who supports the primary rapper with vocals. Yeah, <laughs> vocals, be it uh, supportive usually, or to get the crowd excited. So that is basically, you know, they do call and response kind of things like. Yeah, make I some know. Noise. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Also, in rap, you're trying to maintain a constant flow of lyrics. So sometimes the hype man will allow the primary rapper to kind of get catch his breath and, and take pauses where, so it just sounds like the constant flow of lyrical, you know, content, yeah. um, which is kind of cool. Known as the early hype man, noted by Cool Modi, who is a rapper you probably are not familiar with, but an 80s, 70s rapper. I think he's more prolific in the 80s cool modi but he has been quoted saying that creole from cowboy and creole of grandmaster flash and the furious five which i believe was a 70s sort of band is creole is the original hype man so you know you can have hype men as your dancers you can have hype men as participants in the rap yeah you know anything to generate excitement do you know of any bands that use hype mans Hype, hype men. I was just. Do you know any bands who use hype men or women? <laughs> hype men or women. Hype I was just folks. going through my head, and I'm having a hard time coming up with any music groups that I listen to with a sort of hype person yeah. in them. But if you, I'm gonna keep thinking on it for a couple minutes. Okay. If you want to, yeah, keep, we'll come. We'll, we'll keep back. talking about yeah, uh, about 90s and 80s rap and yeah. the hype men that. Or featured. Yeah, I you know I I only have one hype man. I'm focused on on talking about because I kind of want to keep it a cohesive thing. For sure. But my thought goes to like when I think of other bands, I think of the band Prodigy, which is they started out as the Prodigy started out as more of a rave kind of electronic band, and they still maintained their elect. In fact, their um, their name, the Prodigy, is named after their Moog, which is their keyboard, which was the the Moog Prodigy that they had that they <laughs> used for all their samples and playing and stuff. Right. Which is oddly a similar origin story for a lot of bands that use their equipment as the basis for whatever you know, like what they call their equipment. Echo and the Bunnymen. Echo was their drum machine. It's like they, <laughs> they you know people use that. Like any other title, like you would name your your band, whatever. Are you familiar with Prod- the Prodigy? Not, no, not that I can recall. If I said 
uh, smack my bitch up? No. Okay. That was um, it. They they kind of started out as rave, and they kind of advanced and got got into this sort of more angry industrial sounding. Like it's the music that they make these days is more. It's like really good workout music is essentially what it is. It's electronic. So high it's kind of, BPM. Yes. High, like very quick tempo. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and very very kind of industrial sounding, right? I can dig that. Yeah. The Prodigy, they had, originally when they were a rave band, they just had the electronics, the people doing the music, primarily just one dude, and dancers. And that was kind of like the thing for rave music, right? And then, with their third or fourth album, they started introducing the Firestarter song. Are you familiar with that? I'm the fighter, Firestarter? No, Ben. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you by that's not knowing I'm... any of your musical references. No, that's, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. He did lyrics for that. As you know, he was he start, became a more contributing member as far as lyrics and writing and music, but he started out as a hype man kind of dancer. This guy Keith Flint. Sadly, Keith Flint, what was it? I think it was 2019. They were on a tour to promote their album, and he committed suicide. It's awful. It's awful, and it's 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 something where tortured artists right i mean it's possibly it's what makes their music great but also it's it's something that we wish we could support them right right in a way that's other than than just monetary and fame and things like that it's like you know they're 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 human beings it's a sad story but when i think of keith flint that's sort of a hype man where he started out as a dancer and kind of made his way into you know, he, being, uh, being yeah. the, the vocalist. A promotion of sorts. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Which is kind of cool. I did find some hype man oh. uh, knowledge okay. on the interwebs. Cool. I found that Mr. Porter of D12 was the hype man for Eminem. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah or Marshall Mathers. That's yeah. his name, right? No, I, yeah, Marshall Mathers, you are correct. So that, out of all these that I'm looking at, which shows that I really am not uh, knowledgeable in the area of hip hop. That's the only group that I recognize. Is D12. Eminem, basically, and, Eminem. and D12, yeah. yeah. And kind of to go into that, I'm going to bring up the band Public Enemy, um, which is a band that was a rap group that was formed in the 80s, and they kind of made their focus in rap was to create sort of more political content in in their music so public enemy they're from long island new york originally uh formed by chuck d carlton douglas riddenhauer and flava flav william jonathan trayton jr in 1985 like i said they did political messaging as a part of their rap on subjects of american racism and the media their debut album, Yo, Bum Rush the Show, was released in 1987. And their second album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, released in 1988, has a song on it that is Don't Believe the Hype. Which is funny because Flava Flav, the hype man, is telling people not to believe the hype. And he is the hype man. <laughs> and he is the hype man. Yeah, isn't it? A is little that, bit of irony in yeah, that. Is that irony or is that meta? It's that, irony. It's irony. Politically messaged rap and really good stuff. Chuck D and Flava Flav, they had uh, a co-founder named Professor Griff who was uh, sort of a, a dancer, sort of a hype man on his own, but didn't participate lyrically that much, who was kicked out of the group because of some anti-Semitic things that he said. And then he was re-admitted to the group. But primarily when you think of Public Enemy you're thinking of Chuck D and Flava Flav. Flava Flav is notable for one of his, one thing that he has always is a big clock around his neck. 
If you look up Flava Flav right now, that's what I was yeah, doing. I'm look it up, it and you will see all pictures of him with a clock around his neck. I'm almost I do, certain. for the record, I do know of this person. I'm just I don't know what he looks like, so gotcha. I wanted to get a visual reference. Okay, I will I will pause for a second and take a sip of my coffee while you do so. Yeah, very distinguishable bathroom clock yes there's several clocks in the he didn't have just one no clock. no he did not he had tons of different clocks okay so this is kind of an interesting story about the origin of his clock right which sounds like it's, it's a weird thing to say the origin of flava flav's clock is that in the mid 80s it was sort of a fashion thing to wear a stopwatch around your neck oh on don't your ask neck. me yeah don't but, ask me why. It was maybe it was a um, an athletics thing or whatever, but it was kind of a thing to wear a stopwatch around your neck in the eighties. I don't remember okay. it. Not a timepiece or one of the little circular. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the pocket watch. Yeah, it was not an a pocket actual watch. It was an actual stopwatch. Stop yeah, it was like for you were, fitness. Correct. So what happened was during one of the show, one of his crew. Quotes, someone in my crew put a shower clock around my neck and dared me to keep it on during our show. I thought the look of the clock around my neck was dope, so I kept it on. That's cool. And so that was the origin of Flava Flav wearing the bathroom clock. A shower clock. Yes. Can you explain to me what a shower clock okay. is? I don't know if there is a specific thing what a shower clock would be. I would just call it you could call it a bathroom clock, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there's a distinction in what a shower clock was. But the it just seems it's just, like it's just it's just a cheap ass clock essentially that you would like an actual full size clock that's inexpensive that you would have hanging on your you know. On so your you wall. could see what time it was, or you could time your showers. I'm no, just curious. <laughs> no, I, I don't believe it's for timing showers. <laughs> I That's, don't. That was my only question. Or maybe it was you were relaxing so much in the shower that you needed to make sure that you weren't going to be late for work. Very, that's you know? possible. It's. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily denote that as a shower clock. I would just say that's a clock. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that you use the words shower clock, and that is a quote. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was one thing I wanted to mention about Public Enemy that is sort of related to. Sort of our discussion about context back back long, long ago. One of the things that is wonderful about the times we live in as far as information is that information is a lot easier to get a hold of and a lot easier to research, I think, than, yeah. it, than it has been. Public Enemy had a song from their 1991 album, Apocalypse 91, that was called By the Time I Get to Arizona. The name of the album in 1991 was Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back. This song, by the time I get to Arizona, is a, is basically, it's, it's sort of a protest song written by Chuck D about the state of Arizona canceling Martin Luther King Jr. Day was what the subject matter was and what Chuck D said the song was about. But the timeline of that whole thing in Arizona is I'm just going to briefly go over the timeline. Right. And this is the song came out in 91, keep in mind. In 1986, Arizona Democratic Governor Bruce Babbitt created the paid holiday of Martin Luther King Jr. Day in Arizona by executive order right before he left office. So in 1987, when Evan Meacham was appointed governor, he cited an attorney general's opinion that the order was illegal and canceled it like days after he took office. Then later that same year, Meacham proclaimed the third Sunday of January to be Martin Luther King Jr. slash Civil Rights Day in Arizona as an unpaid holiday. In 1990, Arizona voters were given the opportunity to vote on a paid holiday, and this was in referendums. And the voters... In November, they had two propositions that each chose a different day for the Martin Luther King Jr. paid holiday, and they both failed to pass. One of the things that the NFL football, the National Football League, 
said that if it did not pass by a certain time, they were going to pull the Super Bowl, which was going to be in Arizona. I think it was like Super Bowl 27, I want to say. Okay. They're going to pull that and have it somewhere else. So because of that Martin Luther King Jr. Day not being passed because of voters, by the way, voters voting it down, the closest they came was there was 49% for one of the propositions, but both of them failed to pass. Arizona lost the Super Bowl because the voters. Yeah, so they stuck to their guns. They did pull the Super Bowl. They pulled the Super Bowl. The voters didn't didn't have enough votes to actually pass it. So in the 1991 video, there is, it's basically got a theme of violence against the government. Although the government had a part to play in that. I think there's some evidence supporting that they wanted to have a holiday. They just didn't, you know, they they put it out to the voters and gave them too many choices. And that was the problem. Hey, do you want this to be this day? And they would have voted yes. But they had two choices and that was the problem. Yeah, so there was too many options and so neither one got enough votes. Exactly. That that makes complete sense to me. Right. So... The video depicts violence against the state government of Arizona for this song, uh, By the Time I Get to Arizona, which was Chuck D's statement about what happened, right? Which may have been based on information that wasn't 100% accurate, or it was emotional, but it was still a valid sort of expression, I think. And so MTV played the, there was a video for it that depicted all this violence. And that was played only once on MTV, I believe, before it was removed entirely from their rotation because of that. It was criticized by scholars of King, older black activists, and uh, his widow, Coretta Scott King. And so it was one of those things where it was information that was provided in a different format that could have been construed as misinformation because people see the video and they go, oh, the governor did did that. And that's not right. necessarily the case. It's sort of um, a statement that's made that lacks a full context, like you were saying in the, like, originally. How, you know, this the context of the, of what happened, it kind of gets washed over in the message that this group produced right so which is unfortunate um i still think it's a valid message even though they have this sort of they didn't didn't quite understand or it seems like they didn't put the blame on the right group right yeah in the video the government did have a part to play the government is the one that made those two propositions so there is a valid reason to be angry for the government doing what they did. But, you know, Chuck D was quoted as saying, it's because of this guy canceling Martin Luther King Day, which yeah, wasn't, this guy. which was, right, the 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 actual, was it Meacham? He did not do that. It was the paid holiday part that was the, that was the problem that didn't pass. So, However, he did originally cancel the executive order making MLK correct. Day a paid holiday correct making it into an unpaid holiday right which i mean is a bad public move it's a bad public move but he's a republic <laughs> uh, okay it, it anyway. is not an it's not a surprising move it's we'll not say a, that yeah but yeah. it is as, as far as it wasn't surprising he canceled it for that reason but he also made it an uh, an unpaid holiday showing that there was an intent and also, those propositions came out, which showed that there was an intent to make it that, I think. When it comes to government and politics, it seems to a lot of times to just be a pissing contest. Yeah. Are you, have you, <laughs> do you know what I mean when I say a pissing contest? Yes, I do. Okay. okay. <laughs> a po- or sometimes people refer to it as a dick measuring contest. Exactly. But that's just, sexist, man. I mean, yeah, Sure. If you if you want to call it that, it's it's sexist. Okay. Um, it is a little sexist. They I never guess. they never call it a clit measuring contest. Well, because they? women don't do that. Oh, I'm sure they you do. Know, or people people with clitorises don't do that. Okay, gotcha. But anyway, as you were saying, 
Yeah, the I well I call it a dick measuring contest because okay. it's a, a pointless show of force, a pointless show of being correct, exactly um, arguing even though it's pointless. So yeah, the problem from the standpoint of the government in that case not understanding the importance of that holiday and the significance of having that holiday being a paid holiday as opposed to being an unpaid holiday. I, I think that is, you know, something that was lost maybe based on the fact that there wasn't information available, could have been the political affiliation or the general consensus among the party. Yeah. But a statement was made in a video that was kind of controversial and could have promoted violence. And it was sort of a response to something that wasn't, that didn't seem to be entirely understood, but it was still valid. And that's kind of like misinformation in general is you still need to do your critical thinking above yes. and beyond the statement. Absolutely. I mean, you can't just take a statement for what it seems to be saying without doing a little research and figuring out one, where that statement came from, what the motivation for that statement was, and, and just in you know, in general, you gotta do your work to, to come up with your own opinion. Also when it comes to music and creative work, I think we can take valuable things out of a message without taking it at face value. I think people are capable of doing that. It doesn't mean that's what happens all Correct. the time. Correct. But I think that's kind of the purpose of creative work is to think about it to is, provide value in different ways yeah um without being a literal message yeah and that's not to say they didn't in you know they might have intentionally tried to cause a little bit or promote violence as you said i i don't even i don't know the song per se yeah i'm sure they weren't trying to raise an like an insurrection or civil disobedience exactly uh, it looked a lot like a militia invading corporate offices and and people shooting i can show you at the at the yeah. break well that's um, i mean did, but it's it a music actually, video it is a music video and it is a piece of artwork right it's not real but you can't necessarily determine how people interpret that I don't think you can make the prediction one way or another accurately that it incites one thing or another. It's it's an expression of, it's like when people say, you know, violence on television causes violence. Exactly, or in video games. Right, or in video games. I didn't want to make that connection directly, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is sort of a video game show. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes. And then the air horn. <laughs> I knew, I was waiting for you to hit me with the the segue boop, 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 boop. that is a great symbol of hype yes yes and it's got sort of an interesting history i don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on the uh, on the air horn but in music it has its origins in reggae in reggae music when you told me that i was so surprised yeah because when i think of the air horn i think of like t-pain music right. <laughs> you know yeah, what i exactly, mean exactly exactly um it's just crazy to me that it started in reggae of all genres. Yeah, and and this was back 60s, and, and it was used in uh, dance hall music to, um, as far as calling people to the dance hall. It was a very loud sort of signifier that said, you know. Come dance. Come dance. Um, and it has, you know, uh, there are various artists that utilized it. Even Bob Marley had a song that featured the air horn in it. But I think more notably, we, we think about the air horn as an instrument of hype, but also an instrument of mischief. Oh, for sure. Um, a, pr a real prankster's tool. Yes. I knew a guy who did that uh, at college to wake his buddies up for the morning. That's so rude. It is rude. And I don't think it's funny either. No. No. Don't disturb people in their sleep. No. I was a very heavy sleeper. I'm less of that now, but... I once accidentally, I was like half asleep and I kicked my girlfriend in the back because she was trying to wake me up. She, she, she came into my apartment and was like jumping on me and pushing at me. And I was just like, what the, and I kicked her in the back. Fortunately, I didn't hurt her horribly, but yeah, that's good. I mean, she, it, she it, let me, she let me hear it for a while. And I, when, when I realized I did it, I woke up like a hundred percent woke up. And I was like, holy shit. By the same token, she did 
come in and she was jumping on you while you were asleep. If you mess with somebody while they're sleeping, you might get hit. Yeah, I also once took a swing at my mom when I was... Mad at her? No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm sorry. That was a terrible joke. I would never do that ever. No, I But it was like she woke me up one time and it was just like, get the fuck away from me. And I took a swing at her. Fortunately, I didn't hit her. That's good. Or else... Sleep assault. Is that a thing? Yes. You know what? Okay, so this is really weird. There is a new Hulu show that I saw advertised about a guy who stabbed a woman... 23 times in his defense is he was sleepwalking. And so they have this documentary about this case about doctors saying that you can actually kill someone in your sleep, sleepwalking and not know that you did it. Wow. Yeah. Pretty weird. That's bizarre. Yeah. I forget what the name of the show is right now. You can look it up online, but it's a new Hulu show. That's kind of off topic for hype. Do you have any other ideas that have uh, sprung up about hype? The I try to think of things that have had a lot of hype over the past 20 years, you know, since I kind of came into public consciousness. Okay. Fidget spinners had a lot of hype. Oh, yeah. What else can you think of that has generated just a ton of hype? Like, we, everyone's talking about it. Beanie babies? Beanie babies. How How are beanie babies worth the amount that they are worth. They're not anymore. They're completely worthless. Now there's they're also, worthless? Yeah. There, there's also, because of the way that they played this whole strategy, now they're worthless. Over the course of like five years, I saw this, I think it's uh, like the dark, the darkness of the 90s or something, another sort of a series of documentaries on the 90s culture, cultural phenomenon. But one of the ones they did was Beanie Babies started in Chicago back in 1993 or 94 uh, by a dude named Ty. Ty. <laughs> yeah, which is what you see on the little heart-shaped yeah. logo. I always thought it was T-Y, but now I know no, it's Ty. It's actually the dude's name who created these things, a very reclusive guy. They didn't take off right away. But when they did take off back in, in 95, due to what you would say maybe are a series of calculated Uh, maneuvers to generate hype about the product it basically took off like crazy um so yeah and then ended in sort of like you know people trying like anything involving lots of money or valuable things they try to hoard them you know there was even a murder that occurred because of some sort of scheme that was going to happen involving stealing or buying a certain amount of these beanie babies and investing that money and you know, a murder occurred because that didn't happen. And there were people being robbed and right. people who were UPS drivers delivering. They even had to take the, the logo, the Thai logo off the box. At oh, one just point. For, for safety purposes. Yep. yep. Well, we Pretty also crazy. talked about those pop figurines and I did oh, a yeah. little research just now. Oh, okay. It's, it's actually made by a company called... Funko. 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 They are just a bunch of pop culture character type not to not to spoil later shows but different pop figurines of different characters from tv shows from movies and i remember in 2015 2016 people were saying oh yeah if you buy a bunch of these you know they're gonna appreciate in value and then you can resell them later you know another kind of uh beanie babies phenomenon right but as far as i know they are not valuable collectibles by any means. No, There's no, they're not. Probably the market is too saturated with Funko pop figurines yeah. for them to be worth anything. See, and that's where that's where people cite the brilliance of this Thai gentleman, who basically announced things like he was retiring Beanie Babies, and that's that's the thing where people started going, "Oh, I gotta I gotta collect these before they disappear." Because he said, okay, we're retiring Flippy the Dolphin or whatever, right? Right. For example. And so then everyone's going, oh, shit, I got to get Flippy the Dolphin before he disappears forever. You know, that kind of generates the the value. The hype. Yeah. And, you know, which which was sort of a false thing. There was never that said that these things are worth more than other things because of their rarity. 
because it was never really like how many are out in the environment you don't know you just know that the certain base number are valuable like anything else is valuable that you have stored for, yeah well for things are worth what people will pay for them that's true and also that around the time here's another thing that's interesting about that um that whole thing with the 90s this was at the very beginning of ebay and there was a point at which ebay had 30 percent of it i think it was don't quote me on that but i believe they said in the uh, documentary that about 30% of all entries were Beanie Babies at some point. But this was right when eBay started. Um, okay. And yeah. was starting to gain momentum as far as a way to to sell and barter and do things like that with your products. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting sort of thing too. It was just kind of a perfect storm that generated all this hype for this thing that was just basically a cheap $5 toy. Yeah. I mean... I've got one right there. It's a little worm. You see a little rainbow worm? I do see the rainbow worm. Yeah, his name is Inch. My girlfriend gave I it to it. me at the time. And I well, I I felt mildly offended. Like, oh. <laughs> Inchworm. Yeah. Oh boy. I was like, no, I was it was a joke. I was j- mock you know, offended, <laughs> but but anyway, yeah, that's one of those ones that I got in like, you know, like 94 before they were super popular when they were popular only community in in the illinois sort of chicagoland area it's in, it's in really good condition you it, could probably get uh, like 12 dollars for that. no i couldn't because because it doesn't have the tag on it that that's one of the big things <sighs> in collectibles i never got into collectibles but what i do know from other collectible things is it's got to be intact it's got to be like yeah in its own packaging, it's got to be original. The little tag on the end that says "tie" and all that stuff is a, is a little bit like worn. Yeah, you know, if, if I would rookie mistake, well, I, I, it wasn't the point. It was it was a gift from uh, someone I loved at the time. Um, speaking of collectibles, yeah, Steve Carell. Did you ever watch the movie Forty Year Old Virgin? Yes, I did. And you remember his massive collection of preserved figurines that he was very particular about and very concerned with preserving. Yeah. I think the only reason I think this ties in um, in a weird webbish way is that Steve Carell is part of a show that generated a lot of hype after the pandemic hit the United States, The Office. Yes. Yeah. That show is probably... The most overhyped show. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong because I love The Office. I've watched it probably close to nine times. Yeah. But it's another example of something that's really overhyped. And I don't think you can go an entire day without seeing The Office referenced on some form of social media or in your life or with the people you're talking to. Yeah, that's what she said. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even a joke that originated with The no, Office. No, and it's yet not. it's most and commonly it's associated, associated with to... it. Okay. So I'm going to tie this into video games and hype. Well, here's an interesting little tidbit about Steve Carell and video games. Um, you know that he kind of had his origins in um, Second City in, um, in Chicago. He and Stephen Colbert were both kind of, you know, like in in the same on the same general sort of timeline as far as when they were discovered mm. um they both both Stephen Colbert and um Steve, Steve Carell both worked for uh Dana Carvey Dana Carvey had a show that was the Dana Carvey show that was tried to push the envelope right that tried to basically do things. Look, look at, look up the Dana Carvey show. There's an interesting documentary about. We're talking a lot about documentaries, but anyway, or I'm talking a lot about documentaries. Maybe that's the problem. Um, and, and mockumentaries. Mockumentaries. But anyway, it's an interesting sort of um, the Dana Carvey show. They were both members of the Dana Carvey show. I recognize that guy. That's Garth. Yes, Dana Carvey. Yep, he is Garth. He was also. Um, not gonna do it he's the the uh <laughs> not gonna do it. the church lady he did like that was one of his characters he did a whole bunch of characters on the show and he actually has a, a netflix comedy special that's not too bad um where he does stand up but he was more of a sketch comedian kind of guy 
and they had one sketch in particular that was one of these where the networks like they pulled the, the they only had I think like four episodes or four or five episodes that they ever aired maybe six and it was because they didn't understand the comedy and there was one where Bill Clinton basically grew breasts to feed everyone in the nation, <laughs> essentially. And it was like the opener. And everyone tuned out because it was just like, what the hell is this? What is this? Right. There were some interesting sketches in in the show. There was one where there were these people who were, they were trying to prank drive throughs but they did it in a, such a way that was wrong. Like they would give them the money and then drive off <laughs> and laugh hysterically and not get their, and not get food. their food or anything. And they were just like, what the hell? And they're like, yeah, ah. I mean, as, as someone who works in a drive through regularly, it's just like, you kind of shrug your shoulders right. and then put, right. put the bag on the counter and say, okay, if they come back, right. It's, well, it's right here. It's right here. But yeah, it was like people who didn't understand the prank, and that was kind of you know some of, they had some clever stuff in the in this yeah. kind of controversial sort of material that people didn't quite connect with at the time, and it might have been a, an idea that was a little ahead of its time too. Steve Carell during those times when he was relatively unknown before The Office brought him to the forefront, there was this golf game called Outlaw Golf. And Outlaw Golf was, I got it for the Xbox, I believe, the old Xbox. Outlaw Golf was, you had various characters, you had like a dominatrix, you had this guy who was like a hillbilly, you had uh, an ex-stripper, like all these weird characters golfing in a golf tournament. And the big thing that they did with the, the game dynamic was they would you would beat your caddy to oh. to improve your morale right so that was the the big game dynamic was beating your caddy to improve your morale that being said steve carell was the commentator and i'm sure he did some some comedic sort of like you know like snaps and put downs of the right. different things but i mean he that's, is a great comedian he is a great comedian and he does have a, a great you know a great voice for it and everything yeah. and he's uh i would say a great actor too oh absolutely you know he has a range but i mean you know the humble beginnings right it's like hype generated by a show also has the benefit of exposing people to the comedic genius that was steve carell too right yeah. so it's not always a bad thing no, um, not at all. It, it means exposure. But then let's talk about games that have had, you know, we, we have a sort of a game time. I feel like, yeah, I feel um, like we can both think of the same game about okay. a game that was really overhyped. All right, ready? We'll say it both at the same time. We'll say it on three. Okay. One, two, three. Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Yes, yeah. I knew it. Yeah. And But the thing is, we've talked about this before a lot, and you have expressed that even as somebody who played it on the PlayStation for the first time, you thought it was a really good game yeah. and that people criticized it way more than they should have, Correct. which I actually agree with you on. And it was a certain subset of people. It wasn't the people on the PCs necessarily. No. Right? It was people on the older generation consoles. Yeah. But that generated so much noise drowning out what was otherwise a pretty pretty decent game i'm yeah. not saying it was an eight or nine i'm saying solid seven and there's nothing yeah. wrong with a solid seven out of ten sure i mean i thought that it performed really well on computers um it's unfortunate that it was not ported over very well to the older generation consoles but in general, I, I would agree. It's like a, I would say it's even like a seven or an eight because the world is so fully fleshed out and yeah. the I think the skill tree is cool. I think the storyline is cool, although it's a bit brief. It's a pretty short main story. So I would say it generated good hype, but it's the reason why is because it was in development for so long yeah. and it was like over the hype men for the game kind of oversold some aspects of it. That's the question that I have. Hype is something that's generated for something that is a little bit out of your control as someone who's promoting it. Right. P 
promoting something in such a way that generates excitement is what promoting is supposed to do. You're supposed to generate that excitement for something so people go, oh, hey, I want that. But there's a way to do it that doesn't exceed expectations. I think the big problem that happens in marketing where you're trying to generate a level of excitement, hype is not predictable. You don't know how things are going to travel, especially now through the internet and, and through means that it's a lot easier to transfer that information, right? So it's going to be, it's not like you look in a magazine, like back in the day, you get your video games monthly magazine, you look at that magazine and you go, hell yeah, I'm going to get that game because it looks awesome, right? Right. And that's, that's basically it. Or maybe you have an interview with someone who says, oh yeah, this game shows promise, we like these things, we like that thing, and whatever. But now... It's so much easier to generate expectations that are unrealistic when it comes to things like like games. And I think that was the problem was they generally, what they did with the game is over-promised and under-delivered, generally. Part of that was due to the fact that they didn't have time to finish or complete the game to the level that they wanted to complete the game to. But, I mean, still, it's like, how do you control that? Yeah, I don't think it's really something that I don't know. Is yeah, it? no, it's a good example. Once you put something out into the world, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Right. Like anyone can take that, criticize it, comment on it. Oftentimes, the teaser trailers for like really big games like that, they have you know the high graphics, everything's smooth. You got the fancy car, and so. It's like that, you know, people take those ideas and they run with them and they have, you know, a set of expectations before ever even playing the game to begin with. And also it's the human brain. It's figuring out, oh yeah, what if it can do this or what if it can do that? Or, you know, it's just, you get that information in general, but then your brain generates that excitement or further excitement. How do you put the cap on the bottle? How do you, how do you put the genie back in the bottle or can you, is there a way to temper those expectations once the hype is generated well so i don't think there's really a way to stop people from overselling a product because you're not going to go you're not going to create an ad for your game that says well don't get your hopes up you know we we have our team of developers and we're human so you know it's not going to be perfect you're going to want to sell like all the high points of your game i would say including more gameplay footage in these advertisements might help Um, I don't know. Maybe they should start setting like different side by side. Like here's how this plays on a PC with, you know, average specs. Here's how this plays on PS and like PS4, Xbox, whatever. Sometimes they do that with dev diary content, right? Yeah. Where they've got these things where they're in development. But, um, I think cyberpunk was one of those special animals where it was like, it had been in the works for so long. The company was so well known for Witcher. The Witcher, yeah. And Witcher is something that if the Witcher 3 was, from what I'm told, I didn't get a lot of playtime with it back in the early days, but it was a piece of shit when it came out. It was not quite as good as it got to be. Right. They, they worked on it to a point where it got to be really great. Yeah. I mean, I've played, I have never finished that game, but I've played a lot of it and it's really smooth now. Right. You know, it's, right. it's, and very much loved by yeah. the gaming community. Yeah. So they also have that association with your previous work, right? So that's another thing that generates its own hype is maybe it's an association with what they, their expectations are higher because this company put out this great work before. Yeah. Do you want to temper the expectations? Because at the end of the day, Cyberpunk may have not made as much money as they thought they did, but they still made a lot of money on their initial sales of their games and still label it as a success based on sales alone. Right. So, I mean, you know, and they're still working on it, which is also a good thing. It's like, yeah. you know. Well, has there ever been a game that really achieved some sort of legendary status aside from classics? you know from like pitfall for example like right. you know games that 
modern games that stand the test of time and might be played, say, 40 years from now with people saying like, oh, wow, this is really a classic. Like, this is something amazing. Well, here's the uh, stumbling block for that. The generations, right? Um, Part of it is the time that you have with the thing when you played it originally or watched it originally. I'm thinking about movies. There are movies out there that I've seen where, you know, now on Rotten Tomatoes um, or or whatever the, you know, aggregate, the Metacritic or whatever, are much higher than they used to be because people's, what they like is different now than what it was before, right? So p- when it originally came out, it was originally um, a crap movie, but now people love now it. Now they love or, it. The opposite is true. People loved it back in the day, but now people are going, oh, well, that's kind of shady, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the answer is. I'm, I'm sorry. What was the question again? The original question was how do you put, how do you, um, what's the word? Temper, Temper hype, yeah. essentially. How do you, I, mean, um, I don't think you can prevent it from kind of getting out of hand from people developing unrealistic expectations. Yeah, I don't think that's something that you can control. And I I don't think think it's something people want to do either. Because while there might be backlash from underperforming games, initial sales, like being able to go into something and know that your sales are going to be off the the chain, man. Like, that's promising as somebody who makes money from selling a video game. And I think also what really matters is if that company puts out a product that's not 100% initially or has a stumble or two, that they commit to making it right. Yeah. I think that, to me, speaks volumes. Yeah. Even beyond people who just want to go online and shit all over whatever it is. And, and you know, there are a lot of different situations where I talk to people about that game who would tell me, it's a piece of garbage game. I was like, oh, what did you play it on? And I was like, oh, I didn't play it. I yeah. was like, well, then how how can you tell me it's garbage? Oh, that's because what I, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. It's garbage. But, like you can't you can't really judge something if you've never played it for yourself well, or watched it for yourself. Right, but people I, do it all the time, right? But that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I agree. Ridiculous. Then you're just a fake hipster. A fipster. A fipster. Not the dog's bollocks. Not not the dog's no, bollocks. No, definitely not the dog's bollocks. Most of the games that I love are games that weren't hyped. But then again, I'm a person who likes things that are not the norm, right? Right. I, I like something that's unusual and something that surprises me with how great it is. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those things are always successful. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to talk about this game too much, but one game I have played recently we talked a little bit about it um that really exceeded my expectations was dragon's dogma oh yeah yeah it's a really fun rpg really satisfying combat really cool skill building and basic mechanics for what they call their pawns right um did you did you play the original one that came out back in the um i want to say playstation 3 days i don't think so but i've played I think I think the version I have now might be in a later version or okay okay um, darkness arisen maybe oh okay because uh, that that whole thing with the pawns I don't know if it's the same as it did when I first played it but it was you had your you go online and you'd find pawns that other people were using as their characters yeah. and you could have them assist and that is like that. what that is a mechanic in the in the version I'm playing, you essentially go to a rift stone and uh-huh. connect to the internet. You enter this essential, it looks like purgatory to me because it's right. just a cloudy, like dark space so where it sounds exactly like ghastly the same ethereal people yep. are walking around. And then, yeah, it's characters, pawns that other players have created with their own stats. Um, sometimes with really weird names. Yes. I, ha- I had a pawn named stinky peach. And oh. I was like, okay. I don't know what that means. No, no, me neither. Like, it might be something gross or it could just be someone being silly. But 
Either way, it's really cool. And then you're all, you can also comment when you're releasing those pods uh-huh. and like say like, oh, this was really you cool. Can, yeah. You can give them or specific you them, feedback. Right? You can rank them. Yeah. You can give them gifts from your inventory. Uh-huh. Yeah, this it sounds like it's exactly the same type of, of of thing it was before, just with a different story. Yeah, because that was that was another thing. That was one of those to me when I played it. It was surprising. It was surprising how good it was. Yeah, I didn't hear a lot of hype about Dragon's Dogma. I heard mostly through word of mouth, um, and at the at the game store, it's like, oh, you got to check this out. I mean, it's like not a lot of people are talking about it, but. It's, it's, but it's, it's good. pretty cool. It's got interesting sort of things they're playing with. And actually, if you think about it, that whole community-based, your character can be picked up by other people, sort of has a connection to Death Stranding in a way, where yeah. the environment and the things you leave behind, it's a similar sort of idea where the things that you do impact what you know, you know other how people. other people yeah. play the game. Yeah, which is a really cool thing, and, and it's interesting and unique. But It's a form of multiplayer that I'm not used to and that I really enjoy because I actually get a lot of social anxiety playing online games. Okay. So being able to play a multiplayer game where you actually don't interact with the other people and you don't have to fight them, you just kind of help each other in a very removed way, I like it a lot. Uh, what about cooperative multiplayer? In in a is that still the same level of social anxiety for you? Cooperative is great, and also local, obviously. Right, um, oh, but yeah, clearly co- local. <laughs> local is never stressful because it's always with your friends. Cooperative online, I haven't done a whole lot, but I would like it better. I get just so anxious um, fighting other people in games because. If I'm not very good at something and then someone starts just railing on me with insults and telling me that I'm stupid or like being sexist and saying, oh, obviously you can't play this game because you're a girl. Mm, It's like it ruins it for me because I just want to play games to have fun. I don't care if I'm bad at them. That's the thing with me. I just don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like I I play this game Warframe and I probably told the story before, but it's like. There was a time where, you know, I am a very high mastery rank. I developed that myself. I was really excited about the game dynamics. I really played the game. I loved it so much. I still, uh, we can get into this later, but I still love it. uh, Except for one thing that they did recently, which I'm not going to talk about because I'll talk about it forever. I was one of the higher mastery ranks. I think it was like, I don't know, at the time it was like 20 or something. And there was a special event where... You, it's all pretty much, with some exceptions, there are some one-on-one sort of things that you can do, but for the most part, it is cooperative multiplayer. There was a mission where you needed to do a very specific thing. There was a mechanism that was an enemy that you needed to access and enter a code to hack into it. And when you hacked into it, it basically stopped being the enemies and started being yours. So the enemies would start shooting at it. So it basically went from something you wanted to destroy or get down to a certain level of damage before you can initiate your hack to put money into it, essentially to pull money out later. You you had to do it in such a way that you didn't destroy the thing right. and you also protected it. Well, there I was with a group of four people and there is a thing in there where you've got this little a sentinel that help that follows you around and helps you out and does various tasks like yeah, the ones that I yeah. do. The sentinel that I use all the time has this thing called vacuum that vacuums up all of the stuff that's around all you. your loot. Yeah, so all the loot comes to you and it's really easy and you don't have to you know hit every individual thing. So it's very useful. Well, your sentinels also have a gun that you can mount on them, which would be problematic in the scenario. So. What I did was I took the gun off the Sentinel so it would just do the the vacuum stuff. And that was it. We're in the middle of this mission and someone comes on the speaker and yells at me about your Sentinel, you're, you're going to kill it. You're going to fuck it up for everyone. You know, it's like you, you can't have a Sentinel in here. Stay away from the thing. And it's like, my Sentinel doesn't have a gun on it. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then he said, well, then I'm not talking to you. And I was like, obviously you're talking to me because I'm the only one who has a sentinel in this group. And so 
you have to be talking to me. We successfully completed the mission, and I laughed at myself afterwards because I had this response. I looked at his mastery rank level. I saw that he was a seven. I was like, you're a seven. You don't talk to a 20 like that. You, <laughs> What the hell, man? Don't tell me how to play my game. Yeah, you get so then, caught up in these things. Yeah. yeah, and I noticed that, and I just laugh about it now. But, I mean, that's the reason I don't, I don't like the communication in it. I usually mute everyone. So even if they're yelling at me through the speaker, I don't hear it yeah. because I'm focused on playing the game and enjoying the game. Yeah. And the only thing I see sometimes is someone takes the takes the time to pause and enter a text, but that's just, you know, unless it's useful information, it's like ignore it's, that. Yeah, just ignore it. Yeah. It's not like a, on a keyboard where you can do that pretty fluidly. It's like, you know, on a console. Oh, yeah, on a console. That it's would be a lot diff- different. Yeah. Really hard. You had to pause it, pull up the keyboard, do the things, and then put it in there. But when it, and when things require communication, uh, a microphone can be useful. But I don't know. Do, can you think of any other games that are hyped inappropriately no, think, or appropriately? I think that we've hit them. I think we hit a lot today. I think we did good. Do you want to do your impression of an air horn? Blah, 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 blah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's an excellent way to close the show. <laughs> so thank you for joining us this week for our word hype. My name is Ben. And my name is Cheyenne. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful day. See you later, guys. Bye.